Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled, Holy Ghost Power, from our series, A Spirit-Filled Summer. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in Galatians 3 this morning. I want you to turn your attention there today. Galatians 3. I want to talk to you this morning about Holy Ghost Power. Say it with me. Holy Ghost Power. Amen. I'm thankful today that the same anointing that rested on Jesus to break the chains is still with us today. Amen? Jesus didn't just take it to heaven with him. He dropped it back off 10 days later. Amen? And he poured it out on his church on the day of Pentecost. And we have a chain-breaking anointing that rests on the house of God today. And we can live in that and know that. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen. Five of us do. Do you believe that? Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Galatians 3 verse 1, if you've got your Bible. Jesus promised us we power when the Holy Spirit was poured out on us. We noted earlier in a message that the same Spirit that came on Jesus to help him in his earthly ministry came on the church to continue that earthly ministry on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And we talked about that. The theme that ties Luke and Acts together is the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church. Even the Apostle Paul who led Luke to the Lord, he had a lot to say about why believers need to activate the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and walk in that and live in that. And I want to turn to one passage where he addresses it, and that is Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. Amen. If you found your Bible, say amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish then, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said, amen, amen. Say Holy Ghost power. God has promised us that not only does the Holy Spirit lead us to Jesus and seal us when we're saved, but he can deliver to us the power we need to walk and live every day of our Christian experience. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. He doesn't just start it. He continues with us all the way through. Jesus said, I will give you a comforter and he will abide with you forever. Abide means he will stay. Amen. I used to get tickled at some kids we would pick up on our bus. And they didn't use the word live. They used the word stay. And I thought about that a lot. Say, where do you live? And they would say, I stay on Washington Street. I thought about that. I like that. I stay. Some people don't stay at home very much, do they? Some people, that's why they spend more on their car than their house, because they use it more, right? Yeah. But I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes to stay somewhere. Amen? In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and rest on someone for a moment for, so they could prophesy or do a mighty work, and then the Spirit would lift off of them. But the Bible says when Jesus showed up, John the Baptist recognized him because he said, you'll know he's the Messiah when the Spirit comes on him and remains. When the Spirit comes and stays, when the Spirit comes and abides, you'll know that's the Messiah. Amen? And one day Jesus stepped in the water and the Spirit came and never left. He abode upon him. He rested. He remained on him. And I want to tell you, when Jesus poured the Holy Ghost out on the church, he doesn't come and lift. He came to remain. He came to abide. Amen? And you can have the Holy Spirit abiding in your life, remaining, staying, resting on your life. His God's hand on your life every day of your life. Would you be interested in that? That's a wonderful way to live, amen? And the Bible tells us that indeed we can. So we need Holy Ghost power to live in the world that we're in. Oftentimes, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I explained that there's a difference between being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit and being saved. What happens to us in conversion? When I'm saved, I'm born of the Spirit. But that's not the same as being filled with the Spirit. We explained it about baptism. Whenever you got saved, the Spirit baptized you into Christ. 
Romans 6 says. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That's a different thing. And we can experience that great blessing and that great benefit. We need the power of God. Some people say, well, pastor, if I can be saved without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, why do I need to press on through and pray until I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the reason is simple. You don't get saved and go straight to heaven. Amen. You don't go from here to heaven. You go from here out the back door into the world to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. And there's a lot of obstacles between here and home, and we need power to face those obstacles. Amen? Power. Say power. A few years ago, some of you have heard me tell the story. You can tell her that I told on her after church. It's okay. Shay knows I tell stories about it. We were in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, and we were getting our house ready to sell. And, you know, you clean up when you're getting ready to sell, right, Mitch? You know about that. You recently cleaned up. You do things that your wife couldn't get you to do for years. You do in a week because you got to sell this house, right? And your wife would put up with it, but somebody else's wife won't buy it looking like that, right? I'm not telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. That's it. It's how it works, right? Mike, where's Mike? They just sold a house. It is the truth. I mean, you just got to get it spiffy looking. Well, we got out there, and I was doing part, and Shay was doing part. I had to go down to my little study out back and finish up for Sunday. And Shay said, well, while you're doing that, I'm going to pressure wash the garage I'm going to do under here. I said, okay. I said, I'll be back in probably about two hours. I've got a little bit to finish, and I'll be done. I came back up. She wrote me, and she said, are you ready to break for lunch? I'm kind of hungry. I said, I'll come up. I came back up, and I watched. And when I left, Shay had started on about one end of this table, and she had made it to about this far in two hours. And she looked at me and she said, this thing is just not working right. I don't know what's wrong with it, but I have gotten, I said, you haven't gotten any further than from here to there in the two hours that I've been gone? She said, no. And she squeezed the trigger and the water was coming out and she said, I'm literally having to cut it about a centimeter at a time and I'm having to hold it right down on top of it to get it to cut through the grime and the dirt. And I reached over to the machine and I flipped this switch and it went. And she said, what's that? I said, point it down there and squeeze the trigger now. Big old powerful stream came out and it cut a swath about that wide. And I just took it and waved it down and it cut grime all the way down. And she said, you have got to be kidding me. If you want to know what good the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, I just explained it to you. Which way would you rather face the obstacles in front of you? You've got the Holy Spirit living in you, but what you need is to turn the switch on and release Him and let Him be all He wants to be in your life. Amen. The Holy Spirit who resides in you whenever you become a Christian wants to fill you and empower you in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you four good reasons why every Christian ought to be a Spirit-filled Christian today, okay? Let's go real quickly. Number one, why do we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Number one, it is power for resisting. Say resisting. You and I have to resist the pull of the flesh and temptation in the world that we live in. We have a real enemy pulling on us to try to get us out into the world of sin again. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, just a couple chapters beyond where we read today, Paul said, I say this then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen? A lot of people say, you know, the old Indian said, I've got two dogs in me fighting all the time. And he said, which one wins? He said, the one I feed the most. <laughs> it's pretty good. I want to tell you today, you and I will be taken over by the flesh 
our old desires will dominate us and get the upper hand to control us if we don't have another power inside our lives that is greater and that we allow to have control and to get the upper hand in our lives. Paul says the way to overcome the pull of your flesh, the way to not keep living in sin, the way to break free from your old bondage and your old habits is not more discipline, it's not trying harder, it is allowing God to fill you and then you walking in in the power of the Spirit. If you walk in the power of the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? But you and I will either live in our flesh or we'll live in the Spirit, and we have to make that choice. Before you were saved, but that wasn't even an option for you. The Holy Spirit wasn't present, and you lived in your flesh, and you did what you wanted, when you wanted. But now you have the ability to say, I will not walk in the flesh. I will surrender my heart. I will believe God to fill me and empower me by His Spirit, and I can live a new life. If you're born again, you can receive the fullness of the Spirit, and you can live in the Spirit every day. You can. But the Holy Spirit is the key to overcoming temptation. Years ago, Dwight L. Moody held up a glass and said, how can I get all the air out of this glass? People offered different options. One guy said, put a vacuum hose on it. He said, you'll bust the glass. He picked up a pitcher of water, filled it until it overflowed, and he said, that's how you get all the air out of the glass. The way you and I overcome the flesh is by being so filled with the Holy Spirit that the flesh doesn't have opportunity to rise up and control us anymore. If you're having trouble with old patterns of behavior, the answer is not more accountability or more discipline. Those things can be helpful, but on their own, they'll never be enough. Did you hear me? They can be helpful, but they can never be enough. That's the problem. I see people all the time who are disciplined and they fall over and over again. I see people all the time who have accountability partners. And all they do is every week their accountability partner calls them and they say, well, I blew it again. Well, try harder next week. Well, that's some kind of advice. I tried hard this week. Amen. <laughs> we need more than accountability, more than discipline. We need a power outside of us, greater than us, to invade our lives and strengthen us to do what we cannot do on our own. And that power is the Holy Spirit, amen? And we can live and walk in in power for resisting. The Holy Spirit can help us in the hour of temptation. He can conscience and tenderize us so that we feel the grief that it would cause him if we gave into our sin. The Holy Spirit can remind us of the example of our Savior. The Holy Spirit can take the word of God that we've read and heard preached and memorized and the Holy Spirit can bring that word up in our spirit so we can remember God's word and grab that word and use it like a sword to put down the temptation of the enemy. That's the way Jesus fought temptation. The Spirit of God on him, the Word of God, and he took the sword of the Spirit and ran that old devil out of his life and made him leave him alone and stop tempting him. We can take the Word of God and do that. He can give us strength to face the pull of temptation. He can lead and guide us to the way of escape that God has promised in every temptation. Amen? Did you know that in every temptation, God promised you two things? The Bible says in Corinthians, he said, no temptation has taken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful, and number one, he will not allow you to be tempted above what you can stand. You say, well, it sure feels like it sometimes, but if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is present in your life, you are never tempted beyond what you can bear with his help. Did you hear me? Well, I'm no match for that temptation. No, but the Holy Spirit can help you stand against any temptation if you'll yield to him and cooperate with him and allow him to strengthen you. God puts a limit. Say a limit. God puts a limit on every temptation. When people say, well, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I, I reached my breaking point and I gave in because I had to. Let's be honest. That isn't true. You gave in to what you wanted now instead of what you wanted most. You hear me? I see Christians all the time who choose what I want now over what I want most. We can't fall into that trap like Esau who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. We give into what we want now and give up what we want most, what we're going to need most. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. You know what else God does? 
the Bible says not only does he put a limit, the Bible says he places an exit. Say an exit. With every temptation, the Bible says, he will make a way of escape from that temptation. God will show you a way out so that you don't have to give in to your sin. It may be leaving the room. It may be leaving the conversation. It may be getting out of the situation. But God will give you a way out if you're looking for a way out. Amen? Amen. You know, I remember driving into Atlanta and you see the sign, Atlanta, next eight exits. But I want to tell you, if I go past eight on off-ramps, I'm going to miss Atlanta. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes God gives us exit after exit after exit. He gives us chance after chance after chance to get out of the temptation. But if you don't take an exit ramp, you're going to end up in sin. You're going to end up in sin. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you. He'll put a limit. He won't let you be tempted above what you can bear with his help. And he will give you an exit, a way to get out of the situation so that you don't fall into sin. But you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said in our verse. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Say walk in the Spirit. Something we have to do. Eugene and I were talking about this at the pastor's breakfast this morning. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to do everything by himself. He comes, but we have to yield and we have to allow him and we have to do our part. But if he will strengthen us, if we will let him and we will flow with him and let him work in our lives, he'll give us power to resist. Amen? You know, sometimes it's the little things or the one or two areas of our life that we won't surrender fully to God that get us into trouble. Little things can matter a whole bunch. And you may not think so, but one or two little areas where you're not surrendered to God can cause huge problems in your spiritual life. You can get messed up. We had an old saint in my home church, and her favorite verse to quote was from Song of Solomon. She said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Catch for us the little foxes that spoil the vines. The grapevines, they would have the low-lying branches and, and sometimes down low uh, when the grapevine would begin to grow, it would be tender and the little blossoms would grow and these little foxes would slip in under the wall of the vineyard and they would chew on the grapevine down where it was tender and low and it would cut off the supply to the whole grapevine and those little foxes that didn't seem like anything at all could destroy the harvest for the entire year if you didn't catch them and get them out of the garden. I want to tell you, little things can make a big difference. Say little things. Years ago, the story was told of a retail giant who tried to buy this whole shopping center so they could put in their large operation. Right in the middle of the strip mall, though, was a little mom-and-pop grocery store, and the owner had been there for years, and he would not move his heels in and said, nope, I will not move. He had a 25-year lease on the building. They couldn't make him get out because he had a legal right to the building as long as he paid his lease every year. And he said, no, I won't move. Well, the retail giant just put their stuff in on both sides of him, and they put big signs up advertising just a, an amazing grand opening sale, and everybody began to fill up the parking lots. And the little guy who owned the mom and pop store decided, you know what, if you can't beat them, join them. His building was right in the middle of all their property. And so right in the center, he went out and put a sign right above his own business. It said, Main Entrance. Main Entrance. Little things can make a big difference. Little things can make a big difference. And I want to tell you, if you've got some little areas of your life where the devil keeps getting to you and eating your lunch and robbing you of victory, there's only one person in this world that Jesus sent back who can give you the power to stand against that temptation and win the battle, and that is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Power for resisting. Say resisting. Number two, power for coping. What do you mean coping, pastor? You know, if you haven't noticed it, the Christian life is difficult. It's very hard sometimes. We face a real enemy, not only an enemy on the inside called the flesh, but we face an enemy on the outside. We face the devil. We face his horde of spiritual minions and demons and, and, and influences, and it takes great difficulty to stand against those things. Amen? We live in a world that is dark because of the influence of Satan. And we have to stand against that. Ephesians 
Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and after you've done all, to stand. Amen. And stand against the enemy because of the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was a child, my dad kept an interesting little device around the house. You hardly ever see them anymore. Uh, you can probably find them in an antique store or maybe on the wall at Cracker Barrel if you look around you. I don't know the proper pronunciation, but my daddy called it a coal oil lamp. Anybody ever had one of those? They stink, don't they? Yeah. But whenever the lights would go out, we would often, like many of you, not have batteries for a flashlight, but my daddy kept that coal oil lamp somewhere handy. And when the lights, we lived out in the country. We lived on a dirt road, not a gravel road. The grader kept knocking all the gravel off in the ditch. We lived on a dirt road, amen? Red clay dirt. Mud when it rained, a mud road. <laughs> but it was dark. You, when, when the lights went out, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face at night. We were in the country. Amen? Amen. And my daddy would light that coal oil lamp. And I used to watch that thing. And I never could figure it out. Here's this little cotton cloth wick. And you'd light it on fire, but it wouldn't burn up. <laughs> How in the world could that little wick not burn up? And finally, when I got older, I asked my daddy, I said, explain to me how a piece of cotton this long doesn't burn up when it burns for hours. And my daddy said, son, the way it works, it's called a wick because it wicks the oil from the bottom and it pulls it up and the fire pulls it up and it draws it up through and the cotton is not burning. The oil is burning. The oil burns, but the cotton doesn't. And the cotton can stay there all day as long as the oil is flowing. The cotton can stand the heat because the oil is the one that's on fire, not the cotton. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. You and I can stand up to the fiery battle against the evil one as long as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. As our wick is dipped in the oil of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter how hot the battle burns, you won't be consumed. You won't be burned up. Why? Because your faith can draw strength and power and might from the precious Holy Ghost and He can enable you to stand against the hottest, fieriest battle and not be consumed. Isaiah 43 says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, neither will the flame kindle on you because I'm the Holy Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Holy Ghost can keep us in the fiery battle against the devil and we cannot be harmed or hurt. Amen? If we'll keep the wick of faith in the oil of the Holy Ghost, we can face the trials of life without being destroyed. James is clear that if we are going to overcome the devil, we must submit to God and then resist the devil. Amen? A lot of people can't resist the devil because they play with him too much. Amen? T.D. Jakes once said, you can't rebuke a devil that you give constant access to your life. You can't open a door and play with the devil on Saturday and get up on Sunday morning and tell him to leave you alone. Amen. You have to submit yourself to God. You have to be surrendered to the Lord. You have to be serious about living the Christian life. But if you will submit to God and you will resist, fight, stand, push back against the enemy, he will have no choice but to flee from you. Why? Because there's a power in your life greater than you. First John said, you're of God, little children, and you overcome the devil because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than the devil out there. Amen. But you've got to submit to God, be filled with His Spirit, and walk in that and resist the devil. You've got to push back against the enemy that's pushing against you. And the Spirit will give you the power to do that. Amen. If we try to stand in our own strength, we'll fail. He's a roaring lion. He is a formidable enemy. Even the archangel Michael did not dare face him in his own strength, but said, may the Lord rebuke you. Do you hear me? You and I must stand in the Spirit's power if we're going to win. Cars run on the storage principle. Say storage. The way the car runs, you know this, about once a week, if you drive a lot two or three times a week, you have to pull into the service station, undo the cap, 
that pump in and you have to fill that car up with gas. And then it stores enough gas to get you 300 miles or so down the road. But when you get to the end of that tank, you've got to pull in again and you've got to refuel. Cars run on the storage principle. Say the storage principle. But I want to tell you there are some things that don't run on the storage principle. One of my favorite things to do in New Orleans is ride the trolley. I know it seems childish, but it brings back my memories of watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Amen? Didn't you love the trolley? You know he was your favorite. I could have cared less about what Mr. Rogers did. I just wanted to ride that trolley and see the puppets. Amen? That's the only reason I watched the show. Amen? I love I wish they could have done a whole show with just the puppets. Now they've got one. It's Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers died and the tiger took over, and I'm for it. Amen, I like it. Uh, the trolley, when you, go to, when you go down to New Orleans, you realize something. Those trolleys don't run on the storage principle. They don't fill them up with gas. No, if you look on the outside, it's got a hook on the top, a metal hook. And that metal hook is attached to a power line, a metal line. And there's electricity running through that line. And it runs on the contact principle. Say the contact principle. It doesn't store enough power to get it down St. Charles Avenue. No, their power is in the line. And what the, car, what the train does is it just hooks onto the power line. And as long as the train is connected to the line, it's got unlimited power. It can go all day and all night because it's connected to the source. Amen? It runs on the contact principle. I want to tell you something about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Christians don't operate on the storage principle. Some of you, the problem in your life is you're trying to live on the storage principle. What do you mean? You come to church and you try to get filled up enough to make it to Wednesday. And then you come back on Wednesday and hope that the preacher can cap you off and get you through to Sunday. Amen? Mm -hmm. And then when you really get low, you pray for a revival. You really need your cap filled up, you need your tank filled up, you say, maybe we'll have one of those good services where the preacher don't get to preach and I'll get my tank full. I want to tell you something. The spirit-filled life doesn't operate on the storage principle. It operates the contact principle. You need to take your hook and reach up and grab hold of the power line of the Holy Spirit and you need to let him daily, moment by moment, energize you and enable you to live the Christian life. You need to stay in contact with the sweet Holy Ghost all the time. Every day you need to wake up and take your hook and reach up and grab hold of his power line and say, Lord, yesterday has come and gone, but I need you more today than I did yesterday. I need you more. I need you every hour, oh precious Lord. And hook up to him and don't ever let the connection get broken. Amen? Operate on the contact principle. Say contact. Amen. Amen. That's why we pray regularly. We fast often. We'll never grow in Christ to the place where we're not dependent on the Spirit day by day, moment by moment. I used to think grow up and be mature enough in the Lord that I wasn't so needy. Did anybody else ever feel that way? Remember when you were a young Christian? Man, I have to read the Bible and I have to pray and I have to stay in church. And if I don't, if I miss a day in prayer or I miss a service, I just feel it. And I thought, maybe one day I'll get mature enough in the Lord that it doesn't work like that for me. I can go longer stretches and be okay spiritually. You know what? I've been a believer for 30 years this year. 30 years. June 11th was that 30th, 30th anniversary of me receiving the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And I want to tell you, I am as needy and dependent today as I was the night that I met the Lord. You don't ever outgrow your dependency on Jesus. You never get to a place of maturity where you aren't dependent on him. I think, if anything, you just get more comfortable with your dependence. Does that make sense? You, you, you just get more comfortable with the fact that the power is never in me. It's not in me being a better Christian. It's not in me being a more mature Christian. Hopefully both of those things have happened along the journey. But I need daily, moment-by-moment -moment contact. I need daily infilling with His Spirit just like I did the, at the very beginning. We never get to the place where we don't need to be filled and energized by the Holy Spirit's presence and power. We never do. It's always going to be the case for us. We need power for resisting. Power for coping with the trials of life and the attacks of the enemy. Number three, we need power for praying. Say praying. The Holy Spirit is the one who energizes your prayer life. 
Can I tell you, if there's a place where we often struggle as Christians, it is in our prayer life. We have learned to use the phrase, I'll be praying for you, like Jameson Creel said a couple weeks ago, as a nice way of saying goodbye. That's how we end the conversation, right? Well, I'll be praying for you, and we pat him on the shoulder. That means the conversation's over. Goodbye, move on, right? And how often do we really remember to pray for the people that we promised to pray for? Many of us, if we're honest, when we get in prayer, we find prayer to be a struggle. Can I tell you, the only one who can make prayer work for us, make it a delight, make it something that brings joy, is the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us pray. The Bible says in the Psalms, Quicken us, Lord, that we may call on your name. Say that with me. Quicken us, Lord, that we may call on your name. I've learned to pray that when I begin to pray. At the beginning of my prayer, Lord, if I'm going to get anywhere in prayer today, I come to you confessing that my heart is dry, and my faith is cold, and I don't feel your presence right now. So, Lord, before I start, before I launch into my prayer list, I'm asking you to quicken me. Say, quicken me. Lord, wake me up. Make me alive. Quicken my spirit. Let your spirit come and spark fresh life into mine. The kind of anointing that makes prayer doable, sometimes even easy, amen, to be able to come before the Lord in prayer. The spirit can help us pray. Romans 8, 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He who searches our heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. E.M. Bounds once said, What the church needs today is not machinery or better, not new organizations or newer methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer, people mighty in prayer. I think he. Not only do we need to stay in contact with the source of our power through prayer, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do the praying. He is the spirit of prayer, and the Holy Spirit can strengthen our prayer life. He can enable us in two ways. Number one, he can help us to pray in the spirit. Say in the spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means to pray with the Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit can guide us in prayer. He can prompt us what to say. He can strengthen our faith by reminding us of God's promises. He can bring to our mind verses of the Bible that we can stand on in prayer. He can teach us. He can help us see the situation from a new angle. How many times have you looked at a situation and not known what in the world to do about it? And then you get in prayer and the Holy Spirit gives you fresh insight and you leave your prayer time going, I think I know what I need to do about that. I think I've got a new idea of how I can approach this problem. I see this from an angle I've never noticed before. Maybe if I went this way instead of this way, things would turn around. Pray in the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to pray. And not only to talk to God, but to hear back from God. Amen? And to cooperate with God in prayer. He can guide us. He can give us the faith and the perseverance to keep on praying when the answer doesn't come quickly. We can pray in the Spirit. Say in the Spirit. And number two, we can pray with the Spirit. Say with the Spirit. Say, preacher, aren't they the same thing? Not exactly. Praying with the Spirit is a subset of praying in the Spirit. You're praying in the Spirit anytime you sense the Holy Spirit helping you and carrying you along in prayer. You are praying in the Spirit. But Paul uses this phrase, praying with the Spirit, in a very particular way. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, he says he's talking to people who are confused about how praying in tongues operates. And Paul says to them this, some of them would say, he says, listen, when you pray in your native language, you know what you're praying. Your mind is fruitful. You know what's going on. You know what you're saying. You know what God is saying to you. You understand the communication. He says, but when you're praying in a tongue, when you pray in tongues, he says, you don't know what you're saying. Your spirit is being encouraged, but your mind is not fruitful. But your faith is strengthened by praying that way. Your heart is encouraged. You sense and feel God's presence. And sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you insight if you're praying in tongues about the situation. Paul says, then what do we do? Do we do one or do we do, or do, we do the other? And Paul says, yes. 
Paul both. 1 Corinthians 14 to 15. Read it with me. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Now, there are churches today that say praying in tongues is of no value because you don't understand what you're saying. Is that what Paul said? Did Paul say we should choose praying with our understanding over praying in tongues? Is that what he said? Is it? What did Paul say? Do both. (laughs) They both have value. They both serve different purposes. And they both can enhance our spiritual life and enhance our prayer life. I want to tell you, I would do if I could not pray in tongues. Of God gave me the utterance to do that when I needed to pray. There are moments in prayer I don't know what to say. There are situations I don't begin to understand what a solution would even look like. There are situations I only know a little piece of. I don't even see the whole picture of what is going on. It's so confusing. But in those moments, I can go before God and I can get on my knees and I can pray till I get to the end of what I know and then the Holy Spirit can enable me to open my mouth and pray in a heavenly language and I'm not praying what I know then. I'm praying what he knows then and he knows everything about the situation and he knows what the will of God is in the situation and he knows the parts I can't see and he knows what needs to happen when I don't know what needs to happen thank God for the ability to pray with the spirit say with the spirit the spirit can enable us when we've exhausted our limited knowledge for a person or a situation he can pray through us the perfect will of God He can reveal what we need to know that we don't know when he chooses to. Amen? I'm thankful for that. Number four and finally this morning, we need the power of the Holy Ghost to resist and to cope with life. We need the power of the Spirit in order to be able to pray. And we need the power of the Spirit in order to be able to forgive. I'm landing the plane with this point. Power to forgive. Say forgive. Can I tell you today, probably the hardest thing you will ever have to do at some point in your Christian life is to forgive another human being who hurts you. Did you hear me? You will probably never face a harder trial or test in the Christian life than the test of forgiveness. Having to forgive someone who hurts you. I don't mean someone who hurts you and didn't mean to or didn't know they did. I mean those moments in life where that person knew what they were doing and they had some understanding of the damage that it was going to cause and they hurt and they went and they did it anyway and they harmed you anyway and you've been on the receiving end of that kind of fallout. What is our response in that moment? Well, the Bible says that if we're a Christian, our response is to forgive. That's our response. Amen. That's what we're to do. We're to forgive. And I want to tell you, you know you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you are able to forgive those who've harmed you. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us to the place where we're able to let go What does it mean to forgive? It doesn't mean you forget what they did. Even the Holy Spirit will not blot out the painful memory of your past. You'll remember what they did. What does it mean to forgive? The best analogy I can give you is this. Whenever somebody uh, commits a crime, you, uh, you can go down to the sheriff's office or the police office and you can swear out a warrant. You can tell them what they did and you can put your hand down and you can raise your right hand and say, this person did this to me and I swear that what I'm telling is the truth. I have been wronged. This crime has been done against me and the policeman can take that to the judge and the judge can sign a warrant for the arrest of that person. And then they can go and they can pick that man up and they can lock him up in jail for the crime that he committed. But the only way they know he did it is because you testified that he did it. And you have to go and press charges. Say press charges. And when you get down to the courtroom, the judge is going to put you on the stand and you're going to have to testify and have to press those charges. You're going to have to push the case. You're going to have to make sure that justice gets done. You're going to have to bring it in and press the charge. Say press. The other option you have when somebody's wronged you like that is you can drop the charges. Say drop them. If I drop the charges, it doesn't mean you didn't wrong me. It doesn't mean I forgot about it. It doesn't mean it was okay. It doesn't mean you're off the hook. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is I am not going to waste the time or the energy 
pressing the charge. You've done it and it's over and I'm tired of dealing with it and I'm ready to move on with my life and I'm just not going to press the charge anymore. I'm going to drop the charges. Can I tell you there's some of us in the room today that need to drop the charges against some people for what they did to us. Pastor, what they did was wrong. I didn't say it wasn't wrong. What they did caused great damage. I'm not denying that they caused great damage. I'm just saying, do you really think that no matter what you do and how long you hold a grudge and how far you take the revenge train, do you really think you're ever going to get back what you lost? Are you ever really going to get back what's been taken? Is the other person even able to give you back what was taken? No, they're not. Even if they tried, they probably couldn't make it right again or fix it back to the place that it used to be. I got hit in the rear end about three weeks ago in my van. And I got a call this week from the claims agent. You know what the claims agent said? Now, I was sitting still, and I got hit by a guy doing about 25 miles an hour. I thought, you just replace the lift gate and the back bumper, and we're good to go. They called me this week, and they said, Mr. Blaylock, we hate to inform you, your van is a total loss. I said, now wait a minute, there's no way that van is a total loss. There wasn't that much damage done to that van. They said, it's not about how much damage has been done to the van. I said, well then how do you figure it's a total loss? They said, the value of the van compared to how much it's going to take to fix it, it's not worth what it's going to take to fix it. We would be better off and you would be better off if we just wrote you a check and you went and got you another vehicle and you just forget about this one. Now you know what? I can do whatever I want to with that van, but it won't ever be like it was. It is a total loss. Now, I can cry about it. I can go get it, and I can go try to get somebody in Mississippi to rebuild it and fix it, because you can't do that in Alabama, but you can in Mississippi. (laughs) Law's different over there. I can do that. And I could drive my 2012 van with 130,000 miles on it. But you know what? It would never be the same. And it would never be worth what it was because it's been marked as totaled. And it doesn't matter what I do. I'll never get back fully what I got in it. You hear me? What am I going to do? I'm going to cash my check and go get me another car. That's what I'm going to do. What else can I do? You've got to drop it so you can move on with your life. It's either that or I can fight for the next six months and drive around in one car, and I'm not doing that. Amen? What are you saying, preacher? Some of you have experienced a total loss in some area of your life. Say total loss. And the best thing you can do is drop the charges. The best thing you can do is write it off. The best thing you can do is let it go and say it will never be fixed. It will never be like it was, and I am releasing it, and I am releasing them. How do you do that? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Stand in the Lord's house. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. The Holy Spirit can enable us to forgive. Amen. Mark 11, Therefore I say to you, whatever things... You ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if we do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. One of the chief things that hinders our prayers and cripples our faith is bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. And I want to tell you today, if you are stuck... Because of this, I want you to believe God today for the Holy Spirit to empower you to let it go, to write it off, to forgive, to hand them over to God. You say, well, won't they ever have to answer for what they did? Your father was standing in the room when they did what they did, and your father will deal with them. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's never going to be dealt with. Forgiveness means you're not going to deal with it. You're going to stop trying to make sure 
that justice is done. You're going to stop trying to get revenge. You're going to stop holding them in your mind rent-free. You're going to stop. It's not anything. You hand them over to the Lord and say, Lord, they are yours to deal with. And whatever you do with them is good and right and I trust you. But Lord, I am done holding the debt on my books. I'm done. Only the Holy Spirit can enable us to forgive. Years ago, a woman named Corey Ten Boom who had survived the Ravensbrook concentration camp, stood in a service like this where she'd preached about the forgiveness of God. And as she got ready to exit the service that day, there was a man on the back row, and he was wearing a visor that had a skull and crossbones on the insignia. And she saw him, and when she saw his face, she immediately recognized him, and her mind flashed back. He was one of the guards at the Ravensbrook concentration camp where her sister had died. And where she had nearly lost her life. In fact, she remembered walking past him naked with her sister standing in front of her, skin and bones, as they were sorted out and she lost her life. That day, at the end of the service, this guard walked up, stuck his hand out to Corey Ten Boom and said, Excellent message you preached today. He said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. I did some horrible things that I'm not proud of. But since then, I've become a Christian, and I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I know that God has forgiven me of my sin. But I just wanted to know today, you forgive me for the horrible things that I did? And she said he stood there with his hand out for only a few seconds, but it seemed like a year passed in those few seconds. And she said everything on the inside of me said, I can't do it, I can't do it. The picture of my sister flashed back in my mind and I thought, how can I say to this man, I forgive you? How can I let this go? How can I look in the face of the one who did so much evil and harm to my family and release him from the debt that he owes to us? She said, and I could not do it, but I knew that I must do it. And she said, in that moment, I dropped down and said, Lord, I can't do this, but you've got to help me. Lord, I can't, but you can. Holy Spirit, you've got to help me. And she said, in that moment, I felt the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit fill me up. And she said, I reached and stuck my hand out. And I said, friend, I forgive you. And I shook his hand. And she said, and when I did, years, years of pain and hurt and brokenness rolled, not off his shoulders, but off my shoulders. Jesus said, forgive that we might be forgiven. We release so that we cannot carry the burden of it anymore. When you set somebody free by forgiving them, you're not turning them loose. You're turning yourself loose. But the Holy Spirit can enable us to do that. Lord, help us. I want to tell you today, Corey Ten Boom said, I would like to say to you that I never again struggled with forgiving anybody. She said, I wish I could say it, but I can't. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from that day on. She said, but they didn't. She said, if there's one thing I've learned out of 80 years of living, it is this. I store up good feelings and behavior. I can only draw them from God fresh each day. What is she saying? You don't operate on the storage principle. You operate on the contact principle. I can't store up enough to get me through the week. I have to constantly live in dependence on the sweet Holy Ghost. Are you living the Spirit-filled life today? Is he enabling you and empowering you? Are you finding his strength to face the trials and challenges of life? If we are willing, the Lord can make us able. Saying I forgive you is not saying it didn't hurt. No big deal, it didn't hurt. It's not staying in the abuse, but it is choosing to understand that the debt we're holding on our record books is uncollectible and won't ever be paid by the other person. Prison door. And realizing we're the ones who walk out free. Holding on to forbitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting on the other fellow to die. If we will invite him to, the Holy Spirit can give us the power to forgive those who've harmed us. Bring us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now I know some people who would say, well, Pastor, I just believe that you get all of that whenever you get saved. Some separate work. Well... I love the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said it this way. He was a reformed Christian who came from a church that taught that very thing, but he didn't believe it. Now, I don't believe it either. He said, I want to tell you the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? 
He told his church, I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a reform background. He was a Presbyterian, by the way. He said, but it's not good enough. I know that all of you would want me to want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit. We got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Dr. Jones said, I have only one question to ask you then. If you got it all in conversion, where in God's name is it? <laughs> where is it? I said a few weeks ago, I'm not preaching about water so you can know what water is. I'm preaching about water so you can get wet. And I'm not preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit so you can write down four notes in your Bible that says the Lord gives us the power to do the following four things. I'm preaching today so you can live this place and walk in Holy Ghost power. And you'll have the power to fight the enemy and the power to resist sin and the power to pray and get answers. And the power to let go of the resentment that has held you in prison for years. Do you want out? The Holy Spirit can enable you today to drop your end of the rope. To drop the charges you've been pressing. And to set you free. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you have need of this power, I invite you to come today. But I want to tell you what I sense in my spirit. I feel like this morning there's some people who the last point, it's all about you. You know in your heart of hearts there are some issues, there are some people, there is some baggage, there's some old hurt that you need to let go of. Some of you need to drop some charges this morning. And you need to let some people go free. Will you? Will you turn them loose? Father, in the name of Jesus, right now with every head bowed as we wait on you, as we reverence your presence and wait on your spirit, we ask you this morning that you'd move in this house. And Lord, I pray today for those who just need the empowering and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that this morning they would come. Some of them need to be baptized afresh in your spirit. Been filled with the Holy Ghost, but they need a fresh infilling and infusion of your power. Lord, some of them today in the past have enjoyed this blessing. But somehow they've broken contact with you. They've not been abiding in prayer. They've not been staying connected to you. And Lord, this morning they need to take the hook and reach up and grab hold of the wire today. And they need to be energized by the sweet dove of heaven. Lord, but there's some in this room today who their biggest issue. It's not temptation. It's not the trials of life. It's not persevering in prayer. It is letting go of resentment. It is dropping the charges of someone who hurt them. And Lord, I thank you today that even though they may not can do it in their own strength, your spirit can empower them today to let go, to forgive, and to walk out of this place free by the Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For just a moment, we're going to open the altar. If you need to pray right now as the Holy Spirit is moving, you respond, you come. Come and someone will meet you here. We'd love to pray with you. Take this moment, act on it. Pastor, call us to act on it now. Because right now the Holy Spirit is moving. Right now He's speaking to your heart. Right now you see the truth. Right now it's clear in your mind what you need to do. But if you walk out that back door, you'll get right back into the world. You'll get sucked right back into everything around you. Ordinary life will wipe out of your mind what you need to do. You'll put it off to another day. Don't do it. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, respond now and let Him do His work in you. Turn it loose. Allow the Spirit to give you His fullness and His power today. Chad, lead us in song today. The altar's open if you need to pray. Come and pray today. Someone will meet you here and help you to pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.